0: Happy New Year and Shana Tova from David Odyssey and the Luminaries. Welcome back to my solo episode spectacular from my palace in heaven. We have a lot to discuss, including Matrix Resurrections, Andrea Chu, Julie Roberts, Harley Quinn, Natalie Portman, Ryan Philippi, 90s male hedonism for the 600th time, Uranus Oppositions, Tai T, and of course, Bushwig. Welcome to the new decade, moi. Okay, Shabbat Shalom, where do we even begin? Um, Okay, I spent like four hours at the neurologist's office today, and we are trying all sorts of new treatments, so allegedly I'm going to be feeling better tomorrow. The good news for you is that this week I have largely been a horizontal potato woman, which means to say I've consumed a lot of culture, and I have a lot of things to talk about. So it should be a very entertaining podcast for you, or it isn't, and that is also okay. You know, I... Only want what's best for you, but I can't control what happens. That's kind of what we're learning about in recovery. Um, I did get an IV drip. It was like a vitamin I- IV drip, so no one worry. But my dad said that um, in France, like when wealthy women would be having anxiety, they would like go get a treatment. So I feel very uh, Dordogne. What is the line in notes on a scandal when Kate Blanchett is like, What's this about you coming to the Dordogne? And um, Judy Dench goes, Excuse me, you said if I happen to be in the region, I should drop by. We didn't fucking mean it. Okay. Um, Tomorrow is. Well, I think probably tonight, but tomorrow I am going to be at Bushwig. It is my favorite time of the year, <laughs> you know, the 20th anniversary of September 11th, do with that what you will. I love Bushwig, the drag festival, I am always grateful to be there, I used to cover it for Time Out, and um, it just, Bushwig to me has always felt like, and I've talked about this before, but it's like when the X-Men go get transported onto the Shi'ar spaceship, and the aliens on the ship look at the X-Men and say, Aliens! Which is to say, everyone is in drag. Everyone is an alien. Everybody is a star, as, hello, the great Virgo Sylvester once prophesied. I have no idea what I'm wearing. I am likely going to be wearing a rerun from two years ago. And look, I have been... This is the thing with me that you have to understand. I tend to go through different friendship cycles which is to say i think the people who are around me when i was wearing the outfit i might wear tomorrow are no longer even in my sphere so for some of you it's all new and welcome to my life but you know i'm not um what i'm really realizing about myself and i said this last week about how i don't like to be herded because i'm a taurus aquarius rising i'm very fixed i love dressing up and i love Um, costumery, but I really don't like when it's forced, which is to say, and I'm sure I'm like a broken record at this point. I just like, I usually really resent Halloween and I resent pride because I'm like, let me turn up when I want to turn up. You don't tell me when I have to do a look. Does that make sense? Um, I just feel like it just forces my hand. In the same way, by the way, and we've talked about this too, like, I really don't like getting birthday presents. I'd rather just get you something when when I see the thing that's for you, rather than having a gun pointed at my head. Um, maybe I'm just bitter because I had to send, you know, if one of my nieces or nephews has a birthday, you have to send all four of them gifts, so uh, that's that for the season. Um, happy Rosh Hashanah. I hope you had a great new year. Um, You know, people, as usual, don't really care too much about the Jewish New Year, but we have Yom Kippur uh, this week. It was a very emotional Rosh Hashanah. I watched the live stream of Rabbi Brous, Ikar, my people in L.A. Um, It was really beautiful. Um, Okay. God, we have so much to talk about. So, look, let's just get started with the fact that I saw Shang-Chi, Um, Gabby Hornig and I went to the Williamsburg Cinema. First, we went to Martha's Country Bakery, and we each got a slice of chocolate layer cake, which was to die for. And then we went to the Williamsburg Cinema to see the film. I find it really manipulative to make a bad movie that is, like, ostensibly part of some sort of a corporate... Franchise continuum, which means that these quote unquote fans feel the pressure to go see the movie because it might reveal some hint about something that could happen five movies down the line. The movie is inherently worthless and. You're not even allowed to say it's bad because it still has some imprimatur and people feel this bizarre brand loyalty. I just feel like I'm kind of living in some sort of a dystopian. Dy- I don't like dystopian's a cliche. I'm not going to say dystopian. Uh, I feel like I'm living in some sort of a um, Henry Ford assembly line hell and uh, quality is meaningless at this point. It was not good. Um, It was a B-movie by all means, and I don't really understand how it's getting away with that. I will say this. As you know, Michelle Yu can do no wrong in my part. She looks fantastic. And, by the way, I hope that Aquafina is getting 10% of the box office because she carried that movie. I'm telling you, if Aquafina had not been in that movie, we would be looking at a catastrophe. Um, it's very interesting, you know, the movie is not, that and Eternals are not going to be, are likely not getting distributed in China because the star of this movie, um, was not, essentially, the star of this movie and then the director of the Eternals, Chloe Zhao, uh, did not have nice things to say about, you know, the Maoist regime, uh, and China's propaganda council is like, well, fine, we don't need you either, so... Look, oh God, the world is so fucked up. I, I don't think, like, we should be making movies that so that they can do well in China because no one sees movies in America anymore. Like, I think we should figure out a more sustainable system. As I was on the train home, on the L train, and you know what I'm going to say because you know what happens to me every time I take an L train on a Sunday... There they were, the Thai T gays. These are gay men who live in New Jersey who are wearing headbands, short shorts, high socks, crop tops. They are all of the same, you know, genus and species. And I was just... Of course, feeling like shit, exhausted and enervated, looking you know, looking at sniffies, looking at them, looking at sniffies, and just thinking, um, was it worth it? You know, I don't, I don't consort with demons. I consort with the devil, but not with demons, and there's a difference. And I think um, it's it just making me think. You know, I'm looking at, um, I'm slowly reading Dale Peck's Visions and Revisions, and he has this fabulous quote from um he he has this fabulous quote from leo bersani to want sex with another man is not exactly a credential for political radicalism um (laughs) you know what this is the question that i have for you what is the ethical value of coming out of the closet So we're talking about these Thai T-gays. We're talking about Bushwig. Bushwig, I think, has an ethical value. You know, by the way, not when it comes to paying its performers, but we'll talk about that. But in terms of the vision Bushwig Bushwig presents, Bushwig is uh, ideating a disco utopia that is also creating some sort of a uh, kaleidoscopic, Uh, multi-dimensional post-closet social fabric in which we're all coming out of uh, a looped closet in a constant state of self-discovery. What these Thai T gays made me think was, is it enough to come out of the closet once? I've been talking with some friends and I was talking with a friend about About the sorts of gays I know who last summer were posting a lot about Black Lives Matter and about anti-racism from their rented apartment in Mexico City while their Manhattan one-bedroom was being rented, where in Mexico City they were having rampant um, nightlife and sex while the rest of us were quarantined. I have no moralistic issue with what they're doing but when i think about some of these people a lot of them work in finance make a lot of money don't make the most um intentional choices with their lifestyle again not that i'm any better but what is coming out this is you know the same questions about you know intersectional feminism etc cetera, etc cetera. is it enough to just say i am woman whatever whatever I'm just kind of hoping we can come up with some new vocabulary, and I hope that that can happen um, at Bushwick. You know, as I say, I feel like, listen, I came out in high school. I don't think I came out as a sexual being until about a year ago. So what does that mean? Um, And by the way, once I have resolved my internalized misogyny, then I come out with a new phase, okay? Okay. So I'm not saying that I'm further along on the spectrum than anyone, but I am saying I'm willing to accept that there are more closets to come out of. And when I looked at these these Thai gays, and by the way, Thai is fabulous. The issue is that when you want the money of these people, these people are essentially straight, okay? Um, No. I'm not really sure where this rant is going, by the way. I do want to say something about gay people being manipulated uh, by dark forces. As you know, I have read Ocean Vuong's On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous, and I have read Hanya Yanagihara's A Little Life, which I saw, by the way, I saw A Little Life. I saw that goddamn book. On the beach this very last weekend at Reese. So it never ends. Look. I think Hanya actually is like a troll or some sort of a comedian. I loved that book and I couldn't put it down. I definitely felt truly like someone had just done revenge porn on me by the end of it. It is deeply... I think Hanya Yanagihara wanted to like fuck with gay men. And she did it successfully. So I can't really criticize her. I did not care for on earth were briefly gorgeous speaking of pornography. So when I read which I just completed Shaggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, which was kind of the the gay book of the last year or so, I was really pleasantly surprised. Shaggy Bane is just as bleak as the other two books. Shaggy Bane is it's a book that came out last year about um a gay Irish boy growing up in the 80s and early 90s and his kind of mesmerizing alcoholic mother. And it's very brutal. It's very bleak. But it was not punishing. I couldn't put it down. I I, I would pick it up to read and then I would look up and 50 pages had just gone by. It's so well written. That book before Rosh Hashanah especially really healed me because it is about punishment and sadness and failure and violation but it's also about love like it truly does believe that I don't know I was told by my guides while I was reading it like you're coming to understand that you've been loved throughout your whole life but that even because it's been imperfect love you're not willing to accept it and shugy bane helped me under uh, like understand and accept that like all love has some merit even the love that you can never have anymore Shugi bane felt really complete to me and i felt that ocean Vuong and hanye and agihara were really way more about like manipulation not manipulation but about the how much how much can we drag out pain for its worth And how much are these people going to eat it? And I really... I can't have that again. Um, I'm obsessed with the Andrea... By the way, if Andrea Longchu is listening, I will do your astrology for free tomorrow. She's having a week. I read her book, Females, uh, which I really recommend the Audible uh, audiobook version because she narrates it. It's fabulous. She went on a tear this week where she wrote very good criticisms of the new Maggie Nelson book and the new Tao Lin book, and um, they're both great. I mean, there's nothing to say. Look, my great dream is that I could be Dick Cavett or that I could, like, be some white version of Ellis Hazelip and have, like, a 70s uh, TV talk show where I have, like, intellectuals come and yell at each other and I'm just, like, smoking a cigarette um and when I was reading Andrea long Chu getting saucy and then by the way I was reading an article last night which which they then uh, talked about um Andrea long Chu I mean it's unbelievable it was by hold on everyone um uh, Amia Srinivasan, uh, about feminism and its fault lines, The New Yorker, she goes after Andrea. So, you know, listening to the literati tear into each other, even though I understand about 30% of what they're criticizing each other for, it's just very fun to have sauciness again. Okay. Um, I'm really loving the other two. Um, I think it's doing a really beautiful sexual journey for the the Chris Carey, the Chris Kelly character, Carrie. Um, I love that, first of all, he's having sex with a bunch of alt-gay comedians I know on the show, and I just love that it's like a beautiful, because I think over the last two years I've had a similar sexual awakening, and I've just never seen it on TV, you know, the white gay experience, but sue me. I hate to be, and by the way, clearly they're building some, to something with Molly Shannon, She's only getting little moments on the show, but she is such a fucking subtle actress that her she is so emotional and it pours out through her eyes that you I already know her character's entire story. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's no one on earth like her. Okay, I'm thinking about rewatching Year of the Dog. Um, that's a Mike White movie I saw about ten years ago that I still think about every week, and I think I should revisit it. Okay. I want to say this is really cruel of me. Look, I used to work at a magazine where I had to bang out content nonstop, and a lot of it was messy and disingenuous, and frankly, if I reread it, I would be like, God, look at these prepositions. However, the New Yorker's review of the other two is by Rachel Syme. She's made some podcast review choices I haven't quite agreed with, and There is a line that I keep rereading in their review blurbs where it goes, the other two. Review, review, review. Season two is sillier and stranger than the first. Be prepared to lol. Look, this is The New Yorker. Um, You know, this country, this city used to mean something, and we do have to have some standards. Be prepared to lol. It's just not acceptable. Um, I'm just sorry to say that. Okay. By the way, this podcast is about love. Okay. Um, So, speaking of the fall of media, (laughs) I watched an incredible movie today, Pret-a-Porter, which is on Paramount. Uh, Paramount has it listed as ready-to-wear. It's on the Paramount app. It's from 1994. It's a Robert Altman movie that I'd never seen. Max Wittert tried to show it to me two years ago. We ended up getting stoned, and I wanted to play Mortal Kombat, so that that one's on me. But this is another Robert Ensemble fashion. It's a Robert Robert Altman ensemble film set at Paris Fashion Week, and it is like, I just could not believe it. It is so, so, so next level. Sophia Loren, Tracy Ullman, Rupert Everett, Julia Roberts, um, Lily Taylor, her Mystic Pizza co-star. Um, oh, Richard E. Grant, Forrest Whitaker. It's incredible. Um, and what pret does that I love is you have to understand that in my years working in media, I have worked in the fall of media, which is to say... I started writing in journalism in 2008, dot, 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 which means there was a time which peaked really in the 90s where media, and I know Samantha Stallard is listening right now, media was truly like private jets and champagne. If you wrote, like, the last page column in Vanity Fair, you were set for life. And, you know, people talk about, like, Wow, Carrie Bradshaw could never afford that place. You know, back then maybe she could have because things were just like party, party, party. I, by the way, meanwhile, am a columnist, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and uh, you know, she doesn't have a pot to piss in, regardless. Um, so *Pretty Porte* is really fabulous because you have the storyline where the three fashion editors are all in these gorgeous hotel suites with, um, you know, flowers champagne any perfume they want to choose from and and these gorgeous assistants and tracy ullman looks incredible um in well they have her in gotia and they have her in lacroix um so look the movie's fabulous you you should watch it i want to say first of all danny aiello in the movie who is the love of my father's life danny aiello um julia roberts i've really been learning a lot about because I think when I grew up as a child of the millennium, Julia Roberts was kind of a cliche in her ubiquity. What I have come to discover as I speak to um, my, my women peers in their 30s is Julia Roberts, and we're going to do her astrology at some point. Julia Roberts represents this kind of Garden of Eden archetype of woman. Um, I'm just looking up her chart right now. Um, there is this immediate, like, blood power and embodiment that Julia Roberts, um, oh, she's a Scorpio. How did I not know she's a Scorpio? Wow. Okay, thank you all for telling me. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. So she's a, oh, she's Venus Virgo. So the Venus Virgo is good because it's It's made it so that she can play these roles where she's, like, not that girl and she's a bit of the outsider. But really, and and anyone who's seen Mystic Pizza knows this, Julia Roberts' body and her hair, she is so in this skin. She is so on this planet. She is so logged in that I think she's represented this very, like, archetypal, incandescent um, role for a lot of women, which I, I wasn't aware of and now I'm like really starting to understand it. She is really Eve archetypally. Um, okay. Kim Basinger plays, it's a genius movie. In Pretty Kim Basinger plays a fashion TV news correspondent named Kitty Potter with like a hardcore Georgia accent. It's an incredible performance. She should have gotten an Oscar for it. And, you know, I grew up in a Kim Basinger family because obviously what is the movie that came out a year before I was born? Batman. Batman is a movie that has some of, she is in some of the world's best fashion. So we're talking about her look when she's wearing the beret and glasses. And in some of the world's worst fashion. uh, Look up Kim Basinger hair, Batman. you'll, You'll know everything you need to know. That said, I'm a huge supporter. And when my friend Candace Graff and I went to go see Fifty Shades Darker uh, in a movie theater in some uh, ding-dong town in, like, outside of San Francisco, I don't even want to talk about that trip. When we went to go see that movie, um, she plays the villain who's, like, the older woman who um, corrupted—what is his name? Uh, Jamie Dornan. And fabulously— there's a very camp scene where Marsha Gay Harden, Jamie Dornan's mother in the movie, and let's not forget that Rita Ora plays his sister. Um, Marsha Gay Harden throws a drink in Kim Basinger's face. And by the way, if you're going to see Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker in a small town, Candace and I at age 26 were the oldest people in the theater. Everyone else were 16 year olds with fake IDs who snuck in to make out and watch the sex scenes. Okay. The teen boys started laughing when Marcia Gay Harden threw a drink in Kim Basinger's face, like almost this like, yeah, get her, they got the old bitch. I stood up and yelled, No. Alright, I took a stand. Okay. Sophia Loren is in Predaporte. She is devastating. She's gorgeous. I told my dad, and of course my dad, who has made me watch a hundred times YouTube videos of Sophia Loren dancing, he told me this story. He said that one time my mom went to Neiman Marcus to buy Sophia Loren's avocado face mask, and my dad said, (laughs) It could be avocado or it could be shit. She could smear shit on her face, and Sophia Loren would be the most beautiful woman in the world. That's all there is to it. Okay. Um... I don't want to be, like, a straight man who goes on a rant about, like, male directors, but the reason I watch... I'm sorry I'm talking so much about movies. I just, like... I'm literally horizontal most of the time, and I'm just consuming a lot, and we will have a more even-keeled podcast soon. Right now, I'm just reflecting to you what's going on in my pea brain, and this is some of it, but, you know, I am a versatile, uh, multivalent, multi-hyphenate, so... You know, if you're with me, you are along for a uh, long, voluminous, and um, ever-changing ride. So, I did watch Gosford Park this week. Never seen it, okay? Gosford Park is fucking fabulous. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Eileen Atkins plays, like, the grumpy house cook. That woman... Deserves her own Barbie line. My roommate and I watched this insane Joan Collins, uh, like, B-horror movie she was in uh, from the 60s. It's this, like, really bad Italian horror movie where, like, um, Joan Cusack has sex with a carny and then she gives birth to the Antichrist. I swear I'm not making this up. Anyways, Eileen Atkins plays an Italian nun sent from the... What's it called? Um, What is it called? The Cardinal... By the way, you're all about to learn about how much I know about Catholicism. You know, what is, what is, what's the big, where does the Pope live? Um, This is humiliating. Okay. Um, Whatever that's called, which is a thing that everyone knows about that I definitely know about, which is like a city state polis within Rome uh, where, you know, the Pope is. Okay, anyways, Eileen Atkins plays uh, an Italian nun who shows up to stop the Antichrist. She has a fucking spray tan. That woman can do anything, okay? Ryan Phillippe is in Gosford Park, which no one told me. Look, when you tell me that George Bush didn't have an effect on culture, this is what I have to say to you. In the 90s, we had Sean Wayans, Ryan Phillippe, Paul Walker, and Freddie Prinz. Who did we have in the two thousands? Ashton Kutcher. Really? That's what you got. I mean, I will concede that the two thousands gave us Josh Duhamel, who was my sexual awakening, um, and the first man I ever like had feelings for, uh, and When a date with Todd Hamilton. Um, that was re- that movie was an awakening for me. Yeah, the idea—oh, by the way, the idea that Kate Bosworth would choose—fuck uh, the 2000s. Kate, the, the plot of Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, I did not expect us to go here. The plot of Win a Date of, uh, with Tad Hamilton, which I saw in seventh grade, I already knew that I was gay, but I, I don't think I'd had, like, I understood, like, a full-body attraction to someone until the scene where Josh Duhamel— is wearing a sarong or a towel and just like sits on his kitchen floor, uh, with, with everything attached. And by the way, you know, say what you will about um love Simon, love Evan Hansen, whatever. He looks real good in that movie. Okay, the plot of win a date with Tad Hamilton, and then I'm gonna remember what we were talking about. The plot with win a date with Tad Hamilton is that Kate Bosworth is wooed. She's a small town girl. At the Piggly Wiggly, who gets wooed by a movie star, Josh Duhamel. And in the end, she chooses her small town best friend. Give me a fucking break. Topher Grace. Okay. By the way, I actually think Topher Grace was a pretty good Venom. I just think it was a bad movie. But I actually think... All right, I don't know about that. Um, No. Okay, I'm a faggot, and I would choose Josh Duhamel. Screw the small town Americana, teen mom, George Bush, family values stuff. I choose beauty. I choose hedonism and I choose glamour. Okay. Um, Ryan Philippi. So anyways, the 90s, just to wrap that up, the 90s was an era of male hedonism. 2000s sucked. Okay. Ryan Philippi is, you know, one of the most beautiful. The Lips... Um, what is the lyric? those lips, those thighs you got me hypnotized. What song is that from? Um those lips, those eyes you got me I'm I just I I would like to know. um no, it's not Linda Jones. those lips, those thighs um. Yes, IO Technology. Oh my god, I haven't heard this song in 10 years. This used to be my jam in 2008. 50 Cent featuring Justin Timberlake and Timbaland. I know how humiliating this sounds. um, And I just was talking about how proud I am to be like a self-aware gay. Meanwhile, I'm going to like listen to the homophobic anthem. Anyways, okay. Ryan Phillippe is gorgeous. In the movie, he is stunning. He has really, uh, he has a hot little rendezvous with Kristen Scott Thomas who fucking owns that movie. Okay. Ryan, this is not the only movie. There's this whole subplot in Gosford Park that Ryan Phillippe is kind of like a little bit of a gay rent boy. And that is, uh, there's a similar plot in the film Tommy O'Malley is listening right now, 54, the Studio 54 film I watched last year in which uh, Mike Myers is like the sleazy owner of Studio 54 and Ryan Phillippe is this like um, unassuming twink. Who starts to work there I just love this thing and I'm sure there's some truth to whatever was going on here that I'd love to read about in some forthcoming memoir I love that Ryan Philippi was is always playing these roles where he's this like twink who's being like who's negotiating his looks among these like older lascivious fags I just think it's really interesting I'd love to know more Ryan Philippi sent me on a bit of a sexual awakening which is to say I had a dream the other night that I was with a lover who was the most incredible kisser I've ever had. I had a vision in which a certain guide of mine on the astral plane and I were kissing and that was one of the best kisses I've ever had. Right now, because I had a few bad kissers this summer, okay? I had some good kissers this summer, but I had some bad kissers this summer. All I want right now, I well, I want a lot of things right now, but... If I could just have a truly incredible kiss right now, um, you know, someday my prince will come. But in the meantime, if you're listening and you can deliver, let me know. Okay. Um, what is this note I wrote? Remember when Sia was just a bisexual. Oh, right. Okay. I watched Vox Lux. Uh, thank you, George Severus. Thank you, Melissa Rich. Deeply upsetting, deeply disturbing, but you got to give it to Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman does not ever miss. She does not miss. I mean, I have some issues with Thor, but she's going to redeem that in the new one. Um, She really, th- when I think about the fact that she did this in Jackie in the last few years and Annihilation, it's like, oh, so you're just getting stronger then. Yeah, she just turned 40. Natalie, of course, hello, is a Gemini. She's Mars and Gemini as well. And she really, there were a lot of scenes in that movie where in a single take, she does every single human emotion in a way that only a Gemini can. Fuck, she's incredible. Um, right, she's a Virgo moon, which is to say she's able to have that Perfection and precision of form, so we think about the accent work, that sort of thing, while being able to open those Gemini floodgates and just fucking blast, blast, blast. Um, so her Uranus return, her Uranus opposition, will likely—it's its technically underway, but it'll really get going— um, It's going to be big. It already is big, but it'll really get going around 2025. So what is Uranus opposition? The planet Uranus is the planet of change and upheaval and awakening, right? So Uranus takes about seven years to move through a sign, which means when Uranus is in a sign uh, or or in in a house for you, it's only going to be there once in your lifetime. So you're going to have Saturn uh, move through each of your houses twice, you know, three times if you're lucky, etc. Uranus, wherever Uranus is in your chart right now, that's it. So Uranus, as you know from listening to this podcast, Uranus from 2018 through 2026 is in Taurus. First time since the 1930s. We're having a lot of, um, a lot of similar themes of the 30s which is um on one hand uh the rise of totalitarianism and fascism hello to the nazis and also fdr's legacy new deal um you know uh welfare for all so we're now dealing with issues of Taurus fertility um Taurus sustenance Taurus money so we're thinking about new currencies bitcoin etc um synthetic meats being, or lab grown meats, uh, you know, so that we don't have to eat animals and uh, the battle over abortion rights, you know, Britney Spears disclosing her IUD and stuff, etc. So it takes 84 years for you to have your Uranus returns, which means to say that it takes 84 years about for Uranus to make a full revolution and return to where it was when you were born. Which is to say, midway through there, in your 40s, you have what's called your Uranus Opposition. Which is this time of, um, basically, the planet of change and rebellion and revolution and, sh- and upheaval has made it midway through your chart. And it's like, okay, enough is enough. Like, let's start fucking shit up. So, of course, who has the most iconic Uranus Opposition? Oscar Wilde, who did all of his great plays in that in his 40s and by the end of the decade was like starving to death in prison so not all Uranus oppositions go there but if we think about someone like Luca Guadagnino uh, someone like Mae West I mean those are Leos but um, you know Leos love their 40s generally Leos love to age into their power but The idea of a midlife crisis for men, because men are pathetic, usually coincides with the Uranus opposition. But if we think about women having like a reclamation in their 40s, that's also a Uranus opposition. So Natalie Portman, her Uranus opposition large scale is 2018 through 2026 because that's she was born. She's a Scorpio rising and she has Uranus in Scorpio, which means to say that Uranus is... She was born with Uranus in her first house at the base of her chart. So she's born to be political, um, revolutionary, and to be kind of fucking things up. And, you know, I think Uranus Scorpio and Lilith and Scorpio in her first house, if we think about her first breakout role, which is um, playing a teen sex worker in Leon the Professional, There you have it. Um, And I think she's made really interesting choices since then. I think she's a really discerning actress. Um, And she occupies a really interesting role with her politics. And, you know, like me, she is an Israeli. And she's um, navigating that. And carrying on that legacy, carrying on that artistic legacy, and dealing with the complications of that. um, And being proud and also being um in dismay. So anyways, Natalie's Uranus opposition is on the other side of her chart, which is to say, uh it's in her 7th house of intimate partnership. It's in her kind of right now in her 6th house, but it's really in her 7th house of intimate partnership, but her 7th house is also the 7th house of the public debut. The 7th house comes uh it's the Libra side of the chart where you are emerging into the world. So I think we are in for a thrilling 40s from Natalie. Um I think we are in for a major reclamation. I you know she's directed before and I think we're going to be seeing much more of that, much more of much more ownership over roles. Vox Lux was a, extremely upsetting but a really spectacular performance, and I got it. I was on her side. Um, Vox Lux is music done by Sia. The music is, of course, fantastic, and it sent me on like a a journey. You know, what's interesting about Sia is this, and this is where I think I wrote that note down. I was asked when I used to do music reviews back in the 2008s through 2015s uh, for Outsmart, the gay magazine I I work for in Texas, I would just get CDs from them, and I wouldn't know who the person was, and I would just kind of have to, like, learn. And I remember they gave me the 2010 Sia album, We Are Born, and the reason they wanted me to review her, no one knew who she was. She was just an Australian bisexual. She wasn't even doing that wig stuff yet. Of course, then, when you watch Six Feet Under, you discover... um, I I had known her from Color the Small One, which my brother gave me, and, of course, you know... Breathe Me, Hello, uh, which I think for all of us, it's very difficult to listen to that song. Um, but so then we had this little interesting period where we had Color the Small One. Then jump ahead, we have We Are Born. And then she didn't make an album for five years because she was going through her kind of reboot. And, you know, even One Thousand Forms of Fear and This Is Acting, which are, like, supposedly so mainstream, and I agree, I think she did get too ubiquitous, those songs are fucking bangers. She doesn't make bad music, so it's very—I haven't seen her movie music. I'm not going to. Maybe I will. But anyways, um, I really have no idea what we're talking about. Um, I love— The Harley Quinn Show on HBO Max. It's brilliant. It's well-written. It's really great voice acting, and I just think it's, like, very fun. Harley and Ivy kissed. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy kissed on the show. You know, I listen to all these podcasts where we're arguing for years about will this X-Men character come out as bisexual. Meanwhile, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy on screen in comics canonically are making out. So I don't know what to tell you. Uh, It just feels right, and I'm really enjoying it. And it gives me hope because this is the kind of stuff that I want to be writing. I want to be writing queer women characters at DC. That's my dream. Um, I think that's always been there. Um, Let's talk about—oh, I'm also loving the Wonder Girl series by Joelle Jones. This is the new comic book series centered around Yara Flor, who is the new uh, Brazilian Wonder Girl gorgeous gorgeous art gorgeous costumes Joel jones knows how to draw a beautiful man thank god okay look i want to say this if you listen to this podcast you know that i'm a ardent supporter of the wachowski sisters i think the wachowski sisters who directed the matrix v for vendetta bound sensate jupiter ascending speed racer i think they are the great pop auteurs of our time i think that the fact that two trans sisters created the most influential movie maybe of all time the matrix is massive and i'm a supporter i think the matrix 4 looks great i have high hopes for it i'm really really excited if anyone is listening i would love to do any interview with anyone involved David Mitchell co-wrote it. I adore David Mitchell. I'm reading Utopia Avenue right now. Obviously, Cloud Atlas, which is my favorite, one of my favorite books, and I love the Cloud Atlas movie. I think the Cloud Atlas. This is the thing about the Wachowskis, and I'll say it once again: they at least go for it. You know, I think all of a lot of their work is imperfect, and you could say that about the Cloud Atlas movie. But there's something there which is an open heart. I think the Matrix movie looks fabulous. Um, Lana. Wachowski is a Saturn in Pisces, which means her, sa- her second Saturn return will be in uh, 2023 through 2026. I foresee, or I hope for, a comeback period in which Lana and Lily is already kind of doing this, get to mentor and teach the next generation of queer filmmakers produce the next generation of queer action filmmakers. By the way, I would love to be one of those people that they take under their wing Um, because I think there's a lot of outsiders with a vision of fantastical worlds who they could support. And because their movies are better looking than any other movies, like even Jupiter Ascending, I think the action in that is better than any Marvel movie. So... And that movie is kind of a piece of shit, but I love it. So I'm just very excited. Um, Keanu Reeves, what can I say? If you read my nylon piece about Virgos, you'll know my feelings about him. I think he is one of the great Virgos. And I think he is the only actor, I believe, who can really play Batman. You heard it here first. You probably heard it here first a long time ago, but I'm repeating that. I just think he's a pure soul and I think he only is here to do service. Um, I was talking with Jake Cornell about Carrie Ann Moss and Jake was like, why isn't she the T?" Because she is so, 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 so iconic. And I had a few points. Carrie Ann Moss is the kind of Leo that Gillian Anderson is, which is, I came here to slay motherfucker and I don't owe you anything. Carrie-Anne Moss is here to work, and every cut she will do perfect. She never misses her marks, correct? Correct. The issue is that Jillian Anderson, I think, has been really good at finding, basically, faggots like Brian Fuller who are obsessed with her and who want to cast her and work with her. And I think Carrie-Anne Moss needs that. So I'm really hoping that this movie does that because she was so good on Jessica Jones, she's been so good on other things. But I also said to Jake, you know, Carrie-Anne Moss... And Keanu Reeves, the reason why The Matrix is incredible is because that last scene where they're kissing while the ship is exploding, you can't tell which is which. It's an androgynous trans love story. Hello? Of course, carrie Ann Moss was going to be reviled once uh, George Bush's America came in because she doesn't look like Megan Fox. She is an androgynous cyborg beauty. She's gorgeous and she's severe and that's just too bad. So i'm ready for her to be back you know who knows with this decade but i'm really ready for her to be back okay um something we'll be talking about more is um through rosh hashanah i did discover that this is a shemitah year which is in jewish tradition every seven years you are supposed to not touch your fields and Let them grow fallow so that they can regrow healthily And we are now entering a Shemitah year which is also known as a Jubilee um, So I just thought that was really interesting to put out um, Just because it's Yom Kippur and we're going into a Mercury retrograde In a few weeks all the planets are in retrograde And I was talking with my friend Leora about it and she was like The theme isn't let it go the theme is let it be so I'm just like in a bit of a mode right now where like on one hand I feel I'm surging with career ambition and I have more work than I could ever possibly do on another my body is kind of turning against me and on another I'm not really sure what is the best way to honor the gifts I have the opportunities I have and the active metamorphosis that's happening because as you know as I just explained I'm a Taurus sun Uranus right now is on top of my sun this is a period of extreme change and I just need to figure out how can I let it be for that so thank you all for joining me on this journey I'm wishing you a very happy new year for Yom Kippur we say um you know, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. And I wish that for you as well. People have been really loving and supportive who listen to this podcast recently. And I met a listener at Reese Beach this weekend, and it was so lovely. So I'm very grateful to be in cahoots with all of you. Um, If I see you at Bushwig tomorrow, please say hi. And otherwise, um, all my love. The Luminaries is recorded with love in New York City. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe, share, rate, review, and etc. If you would like a tarot or astrology reading with me, David Odyssey, you can go to davidodyssey.com or follow me on Instagram, david underscore odyssey. And of course, be sure to read my nylon column and tell everyone you know about The Luminaries. I am excited for whatever the hell is coming next. Let's do it together. Mwah.